Hi, everybody. Welcome back for our second, second lecture on Australia and Oceania. In this lecture, we're going to take a look at the population and settlement geography, as well as the cultural geography of the region. Um, and actually, we may actually finish the uh, discussing the region in this lecture. Depends how much time uh, it takes me to go through the, the first two topics. So anyway, let's start off this lecture by taking a look at the population and settlement geography. And we're going to take a look first at some of the contemporary uh, patterns of population and settlement in this region. Uh, so as you can see from looking at the map, um, very sparsely populated uh, throughout much of the region. Uh, as I mentioned in the first lecture on this region, most of the population of Australia is concentrated along the coastal areas and particularly along the east and southeast coasts. This is where we find our largest cities such as Brisbane, Sydney, Canberra, which is actually the capital of Australia, Melbourne, and then along the southern coast we have Adelaide, and then uh, out in the uh, uh, western, uh, on the far western coast we have uh, Perth. Okay, but as you can see, most of the population is concentrated along the east and southeastern coast. In New Zealand, we have a similar situation with most of the population concentrated on the North Island. Uh, where we find our largest cities, once again, Auckland, the capital, as well as Wellington. And then, as you can see, the South Island of New Zealand is very sparsely populated. We do have, uh, a, a, in uh, New Guinea, uh, you can see we have uh, the major city there is Port Mosby. Uh, and we do have some concentration of population in that area. Now, much of the rest of the region is very difficult uh, to uh, identify the population concentrations because the islands are so small. So I'm just going to uh, read this little box that, uh, uh, up here. One of the most densely populated, uh, Nauru we're talking about, is one of the most densely uh, populated Pacific Islands uh, with over 507 people per square kilometer. Since most of the island has been turned inside out by phosphate mining, remember we saw an image of that in the last lecture, providing a source of income to the population from uh, the mining royalties. These vast diggings force the inhabitants to cluster together in quasi-semi-urban settlements, if you wish. The Solomon Islands, uh, this small island country, has Oceania's highest natural growth rate, 2.5% per year. Uh, because of this high birth rate, more than 40% of the population is under 15 years of age. And then, as I mentioned, urban Australia, although rural life in the vast outback of interior Australia is a treasured part of the country's heritage. 91% of the contemporary population lives in large cities during the continent's extens uh, along, the constant, along the continent's extensive coastline. Okay, so Australia has about 22.4 million people. It is highly urbanized, as I just mentioned. Most people live in the subtropical south and east. Uh, the Aborigines, the indigenous population, um, for the most part, live in the arid center, but uh, many also live in urban areas as well. New Zealand has uh, approximately 4.4 million people, and 70% of them live on the North Island. As I mentioned before, you can see that's the most densely uh, settled island. Oceania, uh, Polynesia, Micronesia, and Melanesia, is overwhelmingly rural. The largest city is Honolulu, and its population is a result of, obviously, migration from the American mainland. So here's the population data for the region. As you can see, most of the countries have very small populations, obviously because they're very small in size also. Um, Australia with, as, as I mentioned, 22.4 million. And we have New Zealand with 4.4 million. 
million, and then we have Papua New Guinea with about uh, 6.8 million. Uh, our population densities per square mile, um, for Australia, obviously only three people per, uh, per square kilometer, I'm sorry. Um, and then some of the other uh, countries obviously are very densely settled because they're very small in size. Um, New Zealand has 16 people per square mile. Probably actually has more sheep per square mile than it has uh, humans, actually. Uh, rates of natural increase, obviously Australia and New Zealand, the, the westernized and the richer countries in the region are going to have uh, uh, low rates of natural increase. Uh, most of the other areas, um, not too bad, 1.9%, uh, uh, so let's say 2% <clears throat> for the federal states of Micronesia, uh, doubling time of about 35 years, if you want to think of it in that sense. Papua New Guinea, uh, doubling time of a little bit greater than 35, or a little bit less than 35 years. Samoa, about 35 years. Solomon Islands, as I mentioned, is the fastest growing um, country in the region. And you can see that would have a doubling time probably in the area of about 25 years, just doing the math off the top of my head. Uh, you can see our total fertility rates, uh, Australia and New Zealand, I suspect. Uh, actually, New Zealand's right at replacement level. Um, uh, Australia would be below replacement level. And some of these other countries uh, have uh, pretty high total fertility rates, 3.9 in the um, Micronesia, federal states of Micronesia, Fiji 2.6, uh, Marshall Islands 4.3. Uh, Samoa 4.2, Solomon Islands 4.4. So uh, you can see the total fertility rates in many of the smaller island countries are pretty high. The percent urban, obviously we're going to find the highest percentage urban in uh, places like Australia with 82% of its population living in, uh, according to this data, 82% uh, living in urban areas. Uh, but you can see Guam 93%. Now you have to remember Guam is a U.S. possession that, um, or the U.S. has a very large military base there. Uh, Nauru, that we just mentioned, is 100% urban, as many of the people have been uh, pushed into uh, semi-urban areas uh, because of the mining there. And then New Zealand is about 86% urban. Uh, Palu is about 78% urban. But many of the other areas have very uh, low uh, rates of urbanism, or very low uh, percentages of their population living in urban areas, which indicates that they're highly rural. Uh, populations under the age of 15, you can see we have some pretty uh, high rates, uh, uh, pretty high rates here, or some pretty high percentages of the population under 15, which means uh, that the populations are going to continue to grow fairly rapidly uh, in some of these smaller urban areas. And then our populations over 65, you can see both um, Australia and New Zealand lead in that category, and that makes sense because of their uh, low rates of natural increase and probably somewhat aging populations. And you can see we also have a lot of migration out of the area, out of some of these countries, particularly the federal states in Micron Micronesia, Fiji, uh, as well as Samoa and Tonga. Um, we have um, a pretty high rates of uh, out-migration for those countries. And then you can see Australia has um, a, um, a uh, net, a positive net migration rate, which means more people are moving into the region, as well as New Caledonia and New Zealand also have positive rates in net migration. Uh, Australia is actually pretty interesting because um, 
uh, it has uh, up until the uh, 1970s, it had something called the White Australia policy, uh, where the only people who were allowed to move into Australia were had to be of British descent or European descent, or from um, uh, the United States and other countries that, uh, um, and the people had to possess uh, skills that uh, Australia actually needed. Uh, it was in 1976, I believe, when they did away with that white Australia policy uh, and allowed um, immigrants to come into the country from other parts of the world, and especially uh, Asia. And, of course, uh, part of the reason for that is if you want to do business with Asia, you certainly can't uh, uh, prohibit Asian immigrants from moving into your country and be uh, discriminated against them. So that was part of the White Australia policy that was in existence up until 1976 in uh, Australia. So let's take a look at the historical uh, settlement patterns in this region. Um, so 40,000 years ago, it's estimated approximately 40,000 years ago, the ancestors of the Aborigines, the native Australians, came to the region by boat. Uh, Melanesia was settled about 3,500 years ago by people who who had uh, perfected long-distance sailing and navigation. European colonization uh, began. Uh, European explorers discovered, and I put that in quotes, by the way, this region in the 15th century. Australia was established as a prison colony in 1788, and the British government, who expelled Aboriginal peoples from the land, uh, supported further migration. New Zealand was settled by whalers and sealers, and Britain settled the region beginning in 1840. Tensions between the Maoris, um, the native uh, New Zealanders, and the British settlers led to wars from 1845 to 1870. Initially, powerful Hawaiian ruling families prevented Euro-American Euro claims to the islands. However, in 1898, Hawaii became a U.S. territory, and other parts of Oceania have had, um, uh, how, and other parts of Oceania have had little European settlement. So talking about the uh, uh, modern settlement landscapes in the region. So let's uh, actually before I start on that, let's take a look at some of the um, take a look at the map and look at some of the uh, general paths of human migration in this region. Uh, and so we're looking at various time periods, uh, and you can see that um, uh, we're, the yellow color in this uh, map uh, in this area here uh, settlement. To, uh, uh, prior to 2500 uh, before the Christian era, before the current era, if you prefer. And you can see many migrants were coming into this region uh, from Asia into Papua New Guinea and then spreading uh, from Papua New Guinea into other parts of the region, particularly uh, into the Solomon Islands and so forth. And then you can see there's continued movement over time uh, to uh, 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 Vanuatu, New Caledonia, Fiji, and things and places like that, Tonga, Samoa, Samoa, and so forth. And then you can see that uh, even as we move further in time, there continued to be migration into the Marshall Islands um, and some of the other regions, and then later on um, into um, um, places in the uh, Kiribati in this area here. And then obviously uh, looking at Australia, you can see that there is movement from Papua New Guinea and actually directly from Indonesia into this region as well. Um, and then into New Zealand, you can see we've had some movement, um, kind of an indirect movement 
okay? And New Zealand actually was settled 800 during the Christian era, current era, however you want to uh, define that. And then, if, and then, of course, after that is when we start to see the European colonization of the region. So let's take a look at some of the modern settlement patterns. The urban, uh, uh, we'll look first at the urban transformation. Urbanization began in Australia and New Zealand in the 20th century. Most urban areas have vibrant downtowns with low crime rates. Every major, major urban area in the region includes coastal features, waterfront districts, and harbors. Urbanization elsewhere in Oceania is different. Often there is a lack of housing, street crime is prevalent, and alcoholism is a problem, especially amongst, uh, for example, in, uh, in Australia and New Zealand uh, among the uh, Aborigines and among the Maori. But also in other parts of this region, alcoholism is a problem as well uh, amongst the indigenous populations. Urban areas are growing rapidly through immigration from nearby rural areas and other islands as well. So you can see this is downtown Melbourne, obviously a very modern city, and this is Port Mosby. Uh, and you can see this area actually, this city actually, Port Mosby, if you remember, is in New Guinea, and it actually experiences uh, a lot of urban poverty and crime. Uh, this is Sydney. Okay, um, another very modern city, and this is Australia and Asian immigrants in Australia, and I talked a little bit about that uh, uh, previously. Um, moving on to take a look at uh, some of the more, uh, well, let's see what we have here on this slide. We have the traditional architecture of the Apia Government Settlement Center, okay, and then this is the Apia, uh, which is the capital of Samoa. So this is uh, the traditional um, architecture of the country, and then this is uh, Pia, the capital of Samoa. And again, you can see the importance of water. It's located along the water and so forth, um, and then the layout of the city. Taking a look at some of the agricultural landscapes in this region, um, in Australia, sheep and cattle ranching are significant. Some sugarcane and truck farming occurs uh, near Perth and the Murray Valley, which is the um, kind of in the uh, eastern central part of Australia. Um, so we have viticulture, which its grape uh, uh, grape cultivation uh, is increasing in this region as well to produce wine. Um, I don't really drink wine, but I know people who do, and I think Australian wine is is considered to be pretty good wine. Um, New Zealand's uh, landscape, sheep ranching and, and dairy dairying are important, so the production of dairy products, such as uh, milk, but uh, particularly cheese, um, because of, uh, it can be transported relatively long distances. And obviously, I've mentioned the sheep ranching before and the significant numbers of sheep uh, in the area. In rural Oceania, we see a subsistence farming of taro, sweet potatoes, coconuts, and, and bananas. Cash crops in some places, such as coffee, cocoa, and sugarcane are also important. And so you can see we're growing yams in this area of Papua New Guinea. And then this is the New Zealand Canterbury Plain, as you can see. And you can see we've actually, it looks like we're uh, uh, harvesting hay here, the hay bales here, uh, uh, to probably to feed the uh, cattle and sheep in the area. Uh, so let's talk about the cultural coherence and diversity in the region. Uh, 
uh, and some of the diverse demographic paths. Australia and New Zealand had high population growth in the early part of the 20th century. Today, both countries have low birth rates. Uh, retirement communities and suburbs are growing, and the older industrial areas are in decline. Oceania's population growth exceeds, as we saw, there's some areas that have very rapid population growth, uh, but the, over, the area overall has uh, a population growth of around 2.5% a year. The small islands, as we saw from the data, tend to have very high population densities, uh, and this is compounded by migration uh, to these urban areas. Uh, to the urban areas. Um, so now taking a look at the, uh, the cultural coherence and diversity of the area, uh, the Aboriginal imprint uh, in the region. Currently approximately 2% of Australia's population are, are Aborigines who followed a hunting and gathering way of life for thousands of years. Europeans pushed the Aborigines into the arid central region of Australia. Many Ar Aborigines are employed in urban areas uh, as well. Christianity, Christianity is their major religion, and only 13% speak their native language. Australia has programs in place to help preserve uh, Aboriginal culture. Today, about 25% of Australia's people are foreign-born. And so we see, um, uh, and that's due to the recent immigration into the, into the country. So looking at the immigration, 70% of Australians are of Irish and British descent. Uh, Kanakas are laborers from islands uh, in Oceania, such as the Solomons and uh, New Hebrides, uh, were imported uh, to work on farms. Um, I talked about the White Australia policy a little bit before. Uh, White Australia policy limited immigration to Australia, to um, immigration into Australia, uh, to Europeans and North Americans until I'm sorry, I had the year wrong uh, before. I thought it was 1976. It's actually 1973. Um, most current immigrants to Australia come from Asia. Australia's One Nation Party wants to restrict immigration into Australia. So much like we saw uh, in Europe, uh, there's these nationalist parties that have formed to limit Im uh, immigration into Australia as well. Uh, and, of course, we have the same thing in the United States. We have, uh, you know, groups who want to limit uh, and restrict immigration into the United States uh, to certain groups of people. And that's, uh, uh, that's the same thing in Australia with the One Nation Party. Um, so uh, moving on to look at New Zealand, uh, uh, European culture is also dominant in, in, uh, in New Zealand. The Maori, which is the indigenous population, make up about 8% of the country. And they're found mainly on the North Island and are committed to preserving their culture. Maori is an official language of New Zealand. Asian immigrants now make up approximately 5% of New Zealand's population. Um, actually, New, uh, New Zealand uh, has a, um, uh, a burgeoning movie industry, quite frankly. Uh, movies made in New Zealand include uh, Lord of the Rings and The Piano. And uh, there's been several other uh, movies made in this region, and actually television shows that have been made in New Zealand to take advantage of the beautiful landscapes uh, that New Zealand offers. Not only the beautiful landscapes, but the very, but the very varied landscapes as well. Um, so you can see uh, these are Maori artists in uh, New Zealand uh, trying to maintain, uh, uh, and as I mentioned, they're trying to maintain their culture. But there's a strong, very strong. Uh, British influence in the region. Uh, moving on to look at the uh, mosaic of Pacific cultures, 
Uh, and first of all, looking at the language geography of the region, um, most of the languages in the region are what we refer to as Austronesian uh, from that language family. Papua New Guinea has a thousand different languages and holds some of the uh, few remaining uncontacted peoples, uh, cultural groups that have yet to be, once again, I'm putting this in quotes, uh, discovered by the Western world. Uh, village life uh, settlements uh, or villages in Melanesia usually have fewer than 500 people and life there revolves around farming. Polynesia has class-based societies and there's often been violent warfare uh, uh, was common before, uh, I'm sorry, and violent warfare was common before the arrival of the Europeans who obviously dominated uh, the area and people were able to focus their attention on fighting the Europeans rather than fighting each other. Um, external cultural influences in the region includes the Europeans, obviously, Americans and Asians inf have influenced Hawaii, uh, Guam, and Fiji, and are beginning to obviously uh, influence other regions uh, as well. Um, languages are being supplanted by what's known as Pidgin English. Uh, languages are formed from local languages and uh, uh, as a mixture of local languages and English. The indigenous religions have uh, been replaced by Christian religions of the settlers in Melanesia. Um, mergers of Christianity and animist religions have also emerged. And what's, this was actually very interesting. Um, there's um, something called a cargo cult, uh, which is a quasi-animist religion of Melanesia that originated with military cargo supply dumps during World War II. So you can imagine um, in many of these uh, uh, small islands in Melanesia had never experienced, uh, uh, viewed white people before and never experienced uh, religions. And during World War II, as uh, uh, there were uh, military cargo supply dumps, uh, the planes would fly over, dump cargo on the beaches and so forth for the troops that were advancing onto those islands and, you know, so, and their advance towards Japan. And uh, the people in those countries, the indigenous population in those countries, viewed these as gifts from some god that were being dropped to them. And so they began to worship the planes that were flying over them, uh, you know, to drop more uh, cargo, uh, which included food and clothing and other sorts of things uh, for the troops. So it's actually a very interesting thing that developed in this region. And of course, after contact uh, with, uh, with the troops and other uh, uh, people from Europe and North America, uh, this uh, cargo cult uh, kind of started to uh, dissipate. Uh, tourism is a revenue for many uh, people in the Pacific Islands. And obviously this brings more contact with outsiders and more cultural connections with outsiders as well. So you can see the language, uh, linguistic diversity in this region. As you can see, uh, English obviously is the dominant language for many of these areas. Uh, and then we have areas of persisting uh, indigenous languages in both Australia and New Zealand. And then of course Papuan and all the different uh, languages on Papua New Guinea in this area. And then in Melanesia, Melanesia, we have, for example, the uh, combination of Papuan and uh, Austronesian, and then many of the other islands uh, uh, speak the Austronesian, uh, uh, some one of the languages of the Austronesian uh, family. So let's take a look uh, 
at some of the cultural diversity, the multicultural Hawaiians, as you can see, as I mentioned, they've been impacted uh, greatly by uh, Asians and particularly people from uh, Japan uh, and uh, in uh, Hawaii because a lot of Japanese uh, were brought to Hawaii to work in uh, work in the fields and things like that, and obviously many remained there. Uh, we have South Asians in uh, Fiji, and this actually creates uh, some uh, some tensions on Fiji. There's actually been uh, some violence uh, between the two groups, uh, the indigenous Fijis attacking South Asians that have settled in the area. And then this is a village on, in Tonga, as you can see. Uh, really, you know, hasn't uh, been impacted too much uh, by uh, outside influences, you can see, from the village structure in this area. So let's move on. I think we have uh, enough time to move on here and take a look at the geopolitical framework of the, of the region. Um, as I mentioned, the geopolitics in this region reflects a complex, complex interplay of local and colonial era and global scale forces. Uh, and let's take a look at the roads to independence. Um, so um, Australia and New Zealand became independent in, 19, in 1901 and 1907 uh, respectively. Uh, both countries are members of the British Commonwealth, and both countries are considering becoming uh, republics. Uh, Japan, France, and the United States have all controlled territory in this region at one time or another. In Oceania, the former colonies gained their independence in uh, the 1970s. New Zealand and France still control uh, territory in the region. And so... Um, you, uh, we'll talk about some of the uh, problems in this region. Uh, as you can see, we have uh, native rights in Australia and New Zealand. Australia established a Aboriginal reserves in Central Australia and passed the Native Title Bill, which paid uh, Aborigines for land taken from them uh, during the colonial period and allows them to gain title to unclaimed land and to deal with mining companies. Uh, so uh, the Aborigines can actually collect royalties from the uh, mining companies who are um, uh, doing mining activities on, on their land or land that was formerly controlled by the Aborigines. New Zealand's Maori claim, New Zealand's Maori claim land rights as well to much of the North and South Islands and one, the name of the country changed to Aotoria, uh, the Maori name that means long, land of long white clouds. Uh, there have been conflicts between the Maori and the government on this issue. Let's take a look at some of the conflicts in Oceania. Uh, Fiji military leaders overthrew a government controlled by the South Asians in 1987, and that's what I was referring to earlier. The current constitution favors the native Fijians. In Papua New Guinea, local conflicts occur between different cultural groups. Natives of the island are concerned that the government is exploiting abundant natural resources on the island. In French Polynesia, an independence movement is underway in Talmatu, uh, in the Talmatu archipelago. Uh, local pro uh, protests have opposed nuclear testing and tolls. Uh, so let's take a look at the map and we can see some of the different conflicts that are uh, uh, going on in this uh, region uh, currently. So you can see we have the Aboriginal land claims with the passage of the Native Title Bill in 1993. Uh, Australia's original Aboriginal population has increased its ability to control traditional 
sacred lands, such as those in the vicinity of the Uluru National Park and around Ayers Rock in this area here, and a similar situation up in here, uh, land claims. Unrest in Fiji, ethnic tension continues between the South Asian and the F Fijians and native Fijian peoples. Um, over the last decade, this conflict has led to several changes in the government structure, including a recent military coup. Uh, you can see in New Caledonia, indigenous uh, people of the island have voted against a continued colonial relationship with France and in favor of complete independence, but France resists in this area. Okay, so selected zones of ethnic and political conflict, as you can see, is the pink colors, major aboriginal uh, reserves, as you can see, are the purple, purplish colors. And then zones of persisting French influence is kind of this, I guess, salmon color, particularly in French Polynesia uh, and New Caledonia. And then we have zones of persisting U.S. influence and uh, the green colored areas. Um, so you, you can see New Caledonia, the Kanaki independence, independence movement and then native rights and sovereignty uh, demonstrations again uh, in Hawaii. Um, the aboriginals, as we mentioned, in Australia in the Uluru uh, National Park and native, native land claims also in uh, Australia. Uh, the land claim application in green. So you can see it's a fairly uh, uh, sizable land area that the natives are, 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 uh, are claiming. Let's take a, a look at the economic and social development region in, the, in this region. The Australia of New Zealand and economies first. Um, the Australian economy, Australia's historical affluence was dependent on the export of raw materials, copper, iron ore, bauxite, nickel, gold, lead, and zinc. Australia has a little manufacturing and high tech, uh, has little manufacturing and high tech uh, technology industry. Tourism is becoming a, a real growth industry in Australia. Wealth is unevenly distributed, concentrated in the major cities, and there are higher poverty levels among the aborigines, of course. Their incomes are approximately 65% of those of the uh, national average. Tourism is, as I mentioned, is also increasing. New Zealand's economy is, uh, relies on traditional agricultural exports for revenues. In the 1990s, its economy stagnated. Once again, uh, as a result of the uh, East Asian uh, economic crisis of the 1990s, and it adopted dr drastic economic reforms. Today is one of the world's most market-oriented countries. It is now, it is not clear how successful this strategy will be uh, for New Zealand. Um, so then, uh, in Oceania, Melanesia is the least developed and poorest region of Oceania. Uh, most of the countries are dependent on exports of coffee, sugarcane, and coconut. In Micronesia, mining is important, uh, and others support themselves with subsistence agriculture. In Polynesia, some of the countries receive subsidies from France and the United States. Uh, and the United States. In Hawaii, uh, French Polynesia, and Guam, tourism obviously is extremely important. So looking at the global economic uh, setting, Oceania has reduced economic ties with North America uh, and Asia, while Australia and New Zealand are members of the Asia-Pacific Economic uh, 
uh, cooperation uh, group, uh, or APEC as it's known, A-P-E-C. And this is uh, organized to form economic ties throughout uh, the region. So as you can see, this is Australia does a tremendous amount of trade uh, with China, as indicated by the uh, containers on the dock. And when this is one of the container ships coming in, Perth is a boom town. Uh, once again, largely based on the mining uh, activities that are occurring further inland. So a lot of the mining companies and so forth have their offices located in this region. Uh, New Caledonia, uh, nickel mines, but obviously this causes environmental damage. And in Australia, Mount Whaleback mine, as you can see, again, tremendous environmental damage from some of this uh, mining activity in the interior. Uh, and obviously, uh, as we mentioned, uh, uh, tourism is a, uh, is a, uh, a real growth industry throughout the region. This is Tahiti. What a beautiful site. Huh? Uh, Tahiti. Why would anybody ever want to leave this place? Uh, Tahiti uh, Resort. And then this is along the uh, Great Barrier Reef, Reef on what's known as Queen La Queensland's Gold Coast. Okay, so this is the area of the Great Barrier Reef, and you can see the high-rise hotels and so forth along the beach. Uh, moving along to take a look at the um, uh, uh, economic, uh, economic indicators, Australia and New Zealand's people are susceptible to most of the typical problems of the industrialized world. Cancer and heart disease are the leading causes of death, and alcoholism is a persistent problem, particularly for the Aborigines. Aborig the Aborigines and Maori have many more problems. Schooling is irregular for many of the natives, and discrimination against native population is a continuing problem. In Papua New Guinea, uh, has the, the weak weakest social development indicators, including life expectancy, uh, which is relatively low. Uh, let's see if we can find Papua New, New Guinea. You can see life expectancy is approximately 59 years. Okay, and even on Nauru, you can see we have a low life expectancy of only 56 years. Adult literacy is very low, and malnutrition among children is quite high. Somewhere around 34% of the children are experiencing uh, malnutrition. Uh, so taking a look at our indicators here, as you can see, uh, Australia and New Zealand obviously are going to have the highest indicators, probably, of any of the areas. You can see 81 uh, for life expectancy in uh, Australia, 80 in New Zealand. Um, GNI per capita, Australia and New Zealand obviously lead the way. Uh, the uh, GDP growth rates, we only have a, a little bit of data here, but you can see Australia. And New Zealand and Papua New Guinea are leading the way, and it's largely based on the export of uh, raw materials, um, extractive the extractive industries such as mining. Uh, Australia and New Zealand obviously are going to rank very high on the human development indicators relative to some of the other places in this region. Uh, we have very little data on the uh, population living below two dollars a day, but you can see in Papua New Guinea. Poverty seems to be a real issue. Uh, under age five uh, mortality uh, appears to be improving uh, in most of the countries, but still in many places seems to be uh, uh, relatively high. Uh, the gender equity uh, uh, values uh, appear to be pretty good throughout most of the countries in this region for which we have data. Okay.
So um, bringing, uh, bringing this region uh, to a close, uh, you can see the distribution of uh, poverty in Australia. Obviously, the, uh, uh, the richest areas are going to be in the urban area of Honolulu, and the poorest areas are going to be in the outskirts. Uh, so let's bring this region to a close. Um, due to their location and population, Australia and Oceania are in a peripheral position in world affairs. This region is attempting to globalize with growing attachments to Asia. Australia is the dominant country of the region as the financial and industrial center of the South Pacific. However, it has an economic output uh, uh, However, it has an economic output equal to Texas and has suffered through a number of recessions. Uh, New Zealand uh, is working towards closer ties with both Australia and Asia while coming to terms with native Maori and Asian immigrants. Oceania is a crossroads of the Pacific. Asian and uh, Oceania is the crossroads of, of Pacific, Asian, and European cultures. This region has resources through their territorial rights over, uh, overseas and investment from foreign countries. Um, however, they do not have much global political power with former colonial powers exerting much control uh, over these uh, uh, countries, which is sometimes unwelcome. So that brings us to a conclusion for Australia and Oceania. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this lecture and uh, learned something about this region that uh, for many of us is very, very uh, far away and distance.